And so I have a question for you. What is your vision for your family? And maybe me asking that question was like, I've never had a vision for my family. I've never really even thought about that question. And the reality is, is vision gives us a, a place and a mark to move towards. And so if you're in this room and you've already like grown a family, there's still vision for you in this room for what you can be and how you can invest in the family that you have made. And if you're in this room and you're like, I'm young and, and I don't, I mean, I don't have a family. I'm not even dating anybody right now. Don't worry. This message is still for you. Because some of the things that we're going to talk about today are things that you need to look for in your future spouse, right? These are what we would say is godly principles and priorities for building a godly home. And so as we think about it this morning, um, Kelsey and I, we really have kind of a very simple vision for our family. And it's this, we want our kids to know God, to love people, and to want to be with us when they no longer have to be. That when we become and they become adults and they don't need to be around us, they still want to be around us. Or some of you parenting teenagers, that's your prayer right now. I just wish that my kids wanted to be around me again, right? And so what that does, when you have that kind of vision for your life and vision for your family, it helps you begin to prioritize what is most important. Right? Because you have to put some things in the front and some things at the beginning in order to get where you feel God has called you to be. And so what happens is, is life, we all know when you start in the fall and life begins to get busy and kids are in soccer again and you're starting school again or a new job or just the rhythm of life is getting busier in the fall, balance is really hard to find. Anybody feel that way? Like balance is just impossible? Can I just give you guys a, a really good note? Balance is impossible. In that the, everyone says you, you need to be balanced. No, life isn't balanced. So what we need to gear ourselves towards is not everything is balanced and perfectly equal, but what is most important gets the most attention. Does that make sense? Because we, we need to invest in and, and prioritize what is most important uh, before we get to other things. And I believe that when we prioritize what is most important and we, we are out of balance for the things that are most dear and near to us and we ignore things that aren't, then we will find, I think, a very prosperous family life. In fact, in college, um, we take this class um, in seminary called Ministry Failure. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there's a lot of ministry failure happening in our world. Right? Like, what, what good is it if we build a great church and my kids don't want to go to church anymore? What good is it if, if we, we do all of these things for the kingdom of God and yet lose our families and lose our marriages and lose our character and our reputation and our call because we didn't live a prioritized life? And so at Liberty, they had us take this course called Ministry Failure. And it was a course basically helping us as future pastors to implement practices in our life that we wouldn't fall away. And one of the, the books, I was reading the syllabus. I just read the, I didn't even read the syllabus. Let's just be honest. But <clears throat> I always just look at the textbooks. I'm like, what are the textbooks? And one of the books was this, <clears throat> it like aroused my attention because it was called Choosing to Cheat. And I was like, what, what kind of ministry failure class is this, right? <clears throat> and it was this little book by Andy Stanley. And when I bought it, I mean, it's maybe like 60 or 70 pages. It's a one day reader. And I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version to this book. In this book, Andy Stanley puts together this idea that life is not balanced, 
and that some things in your life are going to get cheated. Some things are going to get cheated with effort and time and talent and treasure in your life. And you have to have godly priorities to know what is going to get cheated and what isn't. When Andy Stanley uh, planted North Point in Atlanta, they launched with over 2,500 people their very first Sunday. Can you imagine the kind of systems that you, we had 25 people, right? Like the amount of systems and time and the amount of effort to manage that kind of group of people, it's immense. And so Andy Stanley, when he launched the church, his kids were really little. And his wife said, hey, like I'm all in to do this. Just one thing I need from you. I need you home every day by 4 p.m. And he's like, I'm a I'm a pastor. We basically work nights, right? Like that's when everyone else gets off work and that's when life happens and there's still meetings to be had after 4 p.m. But what Stanley realized is is his priority was to his family before his church. And so he said, no problem. I'll be home every day by 4 p.m. to help with the kids, help with the family. I'll be engaged. Cell phone goes away. And what Stanley talked about is, is, look, either the church and all those meetings are going to get cheated for that last hour of the day or my family. And my family is my priority and therefore they don't get cheated. And he made that conscientious decision to choose what was going to get cheated in his life. And maybe today that's the kind of decisions that we need to make. What is going to be the priority for you in your family life And what things are going to fall away and what things are going to be pushed to the top of the list. And what I really believe that we'll see today from the word of God is when we have godly priorities, there's room for everything. But when we take priorities away from godly priorities, we'll miss out on the most important things. All right. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be all over the place today because the Bible talks about family in all these different places The longest maybe moment of talking about family life is in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 to chapter 6. So we're going to be a little bit all over the place, but don't don't fret. We'll have all the words for you on the screens, but this would be a note-taking day, okay? Because I want you to see that these principles don't come from Blake Harkup. These principles come directly from the word of God and how we are to build our families. And so what is the very first thing that you and I need to prioritize in our life when it comes to our family? And it's this, that God is the foundation of our family. God is the foundation. And a foundation is the most probably important aspect of a home, right? Because if you have a faulty foundation, It doesn't matter how great you build the house, the house can crumble because what's holding the house up isn't able to. And so for some of us, like in this room, our kids have become the foundation of our family life. And our whole life revolves around our kids and and what the activities are and all of the things that they have. Or it's built around money or it's built around prestige, or it's built around, just go ahead and put whatever you want to in there, and you, we can begin to put things as a foundation of our life that cannot sustain and hold a life. And so God has to be the foundation, the very basis for what we do in our life. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, 
costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Here's what Paul says. There's no other foundation that you can lay in this world that's going to amount to much of anything other than Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ and God stay the same forever. They are strong, and Jesus is able to uphold the entire universe by his sheer presence. That is who we need to build our house and our life upon. Look at what Jesus says even about this in Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the, streets ro- the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. What is the rock? Jesus is the rock. The word of God is the rock in the foundation for which you and I need to build our home and our home life. And I know that when <clears throat> like life gets busy and, and things begin to shift and turn, we can quickly begin to ignore the foundation of life. And so what Paul is going to say and what Jesus says is there is no other stable foundation in your life. And some of us have found that out the hard way. Some of us have experienced that. And so what does God being the foundation of your life actually look like? Let me ask you, do you have normal conversations about God in your house? And this is any house. This can be with roommates. This can be with friends. This can be with your family and your kids. But what we try to do and what we've been told to do is we'll just segment your whole life. And the God talk time of your life is before dinner, at the dinner table, or bedtime, or maybe in the morning. But that's not the way a foundational life on God is built, that Jesus and God would be a normal part of our conversation. That he would so be entwined in our life that we see his presence and his importance in everything that we do. And that we would be godly people who talk and bring God into the conversation regularly. What do your conversations look like at home? What do they look like with your spouse? What do they look like with with your kids or your friends? Are these, these godly foundational conversations where Jesus is a part of my life. He did not just save my life. That he's important to what we walk through. Do you talk about and read the Bible together? It doesn't need to be, you know, seven hours of Bible reading. It needs to be that you and I need to focus in and is the scriptures, this is the word of God, a regular part of life. What about prayer? What does praying together look like? Does it happen at all? Or is it just, you know, the normal kind of prayer, like you get to dinner, but not when you're at a restaurant, but if you're at home, you pray for the meal. Right, because God forbid we pray for our meal and ask for a blessing in public, we might offend someone. Right? What are they doing? They're praying for their food, right? And no one's going to vomit next to you. If they do, we have probably a bigger problem that something spiritual may be going on. But you and I need to realize that God is the foundation of our life. And so here's the deal. You need to heavily invest in what is foundational to you in your life. Right, Because everything else that is built in your life relies on that foundation. 
And so let me ask us just in this room, is God as the foundation of your life a priority in your life? Paul says, look, there is nothing else that you can do. Jesus says, if we don't build on the rock, we are fools. Because Jesus understands and knows exactly what happens in our lives and how hard that life can be. As I was talking um, to someone about this this week, foundational, I want you to think just not only as a foundation, but time. Time. Where do you spend your time in your life with the Lord? Um, we were, I was talking to someone this week, and uh, we were talking about godly principles and having the right godly priorities. And what happened is um, we got into a conversation about time. And uh, I was brought to mind a story from Martin Luther. Luther um, is catechist a catalyst in the reformed movement uh, where we broke away from the Catholic church uh, because of the corruption going on. And Luther did things like he translated the new Testament into German so that people could have the Bible in their own language. And he was a seminary professor. And one of the kids were asking him about a spiritual life. And they said, how much time do you spend in devotions every day? And Luther said, two hours. I wake up in the morning And the very first thing that I do is I spend two hours in devotional life praying, seeking, reading every single day. That's what I do. And the student said, wow, that's, man, that's nearly impossible. And he said, so what do you do like on a day that's very busy when you don't have a lot of time? He said, oh, I spend three hours that day. And the student said, you spend three hours that day? And this is what Luther said, the busier I am, the more I need God. And I know that the busier I am, the more that I know that I have a tendency to move away. And so I intentionally spend more time with the foundation of my faith. Knowing that what the world is calling from me can take me to a place that I won't be operating in the power of God. And let me just tell you, if you're trying to build a spiritual house with worldly measures, it's not going to build. And so where are you spending your time as a foundation in your life? But a second aspect or priority to a godly home is that we honor and and, uh, honor marriage and relationships, that we we hold them high, that this is important to us, that the marriage that we have and the relationships that we have with our kids and our extended family is important, right? Because the family is a core value and principle, not just within God's kingdom, but within the world, The family is a cataclysmic, awesome, incredible, world-shaking institution instituted by God. And that these things should be honored and held high. And so what happens is, is for many of us, our relationships and our marriages can kind of come to the back end because, man, life is just so busy. Right? Like, oh, man, I got to get the kids to this, 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 and this, and we got to do this, 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 and this. And, man, life is so hard and so busy, and the only time you talk to your spouse is to make sure the kids get picked up, and then when you get home, you feed them, you do homework, you bathe them, and you you go to bed too, right? Anybody ever been there? Like, when you put your kids down, you're down. And the discussion with your spouse is what? Was today okay? It was okay. All right, good. Good night. This is not honoring. Let me tell you parents in here just a little like 101 tip that we tell a lot of parents. The greatest gift that you can give your kids in this room is a strong marriage. 
that will pay dividends in your kids' lives more than you could ever imagine. And if you're in this room and you're like, well, that's already messed up because I'm divorced and we're separated and we're all of these things, then how do you make that relationship the best one possible? Because we need not forget that that's always going to be their mom and that's always going to be their dad. Are you honoring them, even though you may disagree about everything and things didn't work out, are you honoring that relationship as much as you can to not only because you should according to the Lord, but because it's the greatest gift you can give your kids? I know that we get to this place where that person's awful and I can barely talk about them and we diminish them in the presence of our children. But just remember that that's their mom or that's their dad and they have to live with that diminishing. Honor. And we honor people not because of what they do. We honor them because of who they were created by. And every person on this planet is created in the image of God. And so every person should be honored. It doesn't mean that like, you have to be best friends. It doesn't mean that you have to do everything together, but that you honor that relationship. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says in chapter 13. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Hebrews says we should be honoring this marriage. We should be honoring these relationships. Look at what Ephesians chapter 5 says when it talks about husbands and wives. And I know some ears are going to perk up here, so let's hear what the Bible is actually saying. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul opens up this section of Scripture saying that there is a mutual submission by the husband and the wife to one another. What does that mean? That they're going to honor and serve each other. We talk about this all of the time in premarital counseling when we talk about needs. The reason that you and I have needs is because we can't meet these things within ourselves. But what happens a lot of time when we get in marriage and our needs aren't being met, all we focus on is how our needs aren't being met and, and how we are not happy and these things aren't going on in our life. And we become so infused within our own needs that we forget about the other person's needs. Let me just give everybody in here, whether you're going to get married one day, you have been married, or you're looking to get married soon, worry about the other person's needs and everyone's needs will be met. If you worry about her needs and she worries about your needs, everyone's needs are met. The moment that you focus in on your own needs is the moment everyone is miserable, is the moment that it doesn't work because you aren't meant to fulfill your own needs. And so focus in on each other's needs and, and, it's, and it can't be this because the marriage covenant is I will love you no matter what, not I will love you if you do these things. And so what I hear a lot is, yeah, but they're not upholding their end of the bargain. That's not what you're called to worry about. You're called in your marriage to worry about their needs. And prayerfully and hopefully, the generosity and love and goodness and kindness will cause the other person to come home. Will cause the other person to turn. And you say, well, I don't know. That's nearly impossible. I don't know if that's going to happen. Have faith, trust, and believe. Pray and seek. But look at what Ephesians chapter 5 says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. There's a problem going on here where men were kind of ruling over everybody and saying, well, you have to submit to me to everyone. And that's not the truth. What the Lord says is you submit to your own husband. You don't need to worry about any other man. That's not who you're to submit to. That's not who you're to be in relationship with. You're to do this with your own husband. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands and everything. And you think, man, that's a big charge. I, some of us are like, I don't really like that language. I don't like these ideas. I'm not sure about that. But Paul is going to give us a higher, more incredible calling that I think husbands, it's like, you got to love your wives this way. Look at what he says to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. This is what he says. Wives, submit to your husband because hopefully your husband is leading you in such a way that he would give his life for you. That's the idea, that he lays down his entire life for the benefit of the family. That's a pretty incredibly high calling. But if someone loves you to the point where they would lay their life down for you, then that person is probably someone worth following. And what happens for us a lot of times is we don't see that because, man, that kind of love, you've got to be loved by Christ, men. You've got to receive the love of Christ, men, in order to get anywhere near that kind of love. Because that kind of love is not normal. That kind of love is not what we see in this world. And what a lot of us look at is we go, but there's no one like that. Men in this room, this is the calling that God has on your life if you're called to be married. To love your wives like Christ loved the church. To give up your life for her. For your kids. That, guys, I hate to say this, everything comes before you. But out of love and adoration and feeling the call of God on your life and out of the love that you give to your family, it is reciprocated. It is given back and you do receive a goodness in your life. And so how are we honoring our marriages and our relationships with our family? Kids, honor their parents. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Notice that honor is the word used again. Honor, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be Go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on this earth. Honor your parents. That includes adult children in here. That includes everybody in here. Some of us think when you turned 18, you had to stop honoring your parents. Wrong. Lie. That you and I are called to honor and love and respect our parents. To show them that kind of love and respect. It's not that when we leave and cleave, honor goes out the door. We are to honor. We are to walk with our parents for they have done an incredible work even in our own lives as they have been used by God to form us and make us. But not only that, we need to discipline well. And that includes each other. Okay, It means that we are for the benefit of loving one another and seeing each other grow in this life. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. What does that mean? Don't be dominating husbands. Same with 
moms in the room, do not dominate your children to the point that they are suffocating under the way that you parent them. But that the discipline that we bring should be bringing our kids and our families closer to the Lord. Right? And we know that discipline done well is done out of love. Right? This is exactly what God says to us. I discipline those whom I love. Right? That we would grow and become functional, normal people. And let me just tell you something. That's absent right now. This is absent in our culture. Like the, the, the parenting and the, and the discipline out of love is not present because it's not a strong enough love. Giving your kids everything that they want so they don't cry, so you don't have to deal with the crying is not loving your kids. It's loving you. I don't want to hear it. So just eat that. I don't want to hear it. Just watch that. I don't want to hear it. Just go there. You're not loving well. You have to be able to endure suffering because you love the other person more. That you have to be able to go, you know what? I will take your disdain. I will take your displeasure. I will take your anger. You can hate me, but I love you more than that. And so I will hear it and I will listen to it and I will deal with it and I will bring it to the Lord and I will deal with the hurt and I will deal with the anger and I'll deal with the disappointment because I love you more because who you are and who you are going to be is more important than how I feel right now. That is honoring. That is honoring. Right? What does that mean? Like, what does it look like to discipline your kids well? No threats but consequences. I think we've got the opposite going on in our culture. I hear a lot of threats and zero consequences. What does threatening your kids look like? This will happen, and I am going to take away everything if you do this. What's a consequence look like? Hey, if we continue in this behavior, there's going to be some major consequences. Let me let you know what those are so you can act and behave in full knowledge of what is to come. And so it's what the behavior earned, not a threat that you made them behave. Does that make sense? I was in a grocery store in college. I was in a Kroger. And this lady does not know this, but she parented me this day. I was on an aisle, uh, and there was a can- lots of candy. As a parent, you know to avoid that aisle like it is the plague. Like it is just like there's leprosy on that aisle. Don't go down it. You know this, right, parents? It's like that, the soda aisle, and the chip aisle. You just avoid. You just move on. So I walk down the candy aisle. There's a mom and a little boy, maybe four, five, five, three, in that area. And I hear the mom talking to the boy. And she says, um, like, hey, we're not going to be, there's like a display of candy bars. And she said, hey, we're not going to be getting a candy bar today. Um. And as I'm listening, this kid is starting to throw a fit, like a real fit. And he's like, like, he's like, I'm going to push this over, the display. And she didn't threaten him. She just said, okay, just going to let you know um, that if you push the display over, you will pick up every single candy bar by yourself. And you won't get a candy bar, just letting you know. So this kid freaked out. I'm, I should have left, but I'm like, nah, uh <laughs> what's going to happen here? That kid, he kicked, like, boom, (laughs) candy bars everywhere. And how many of you parents know you're embarrassed, right? Because everyone just heard 
a thousand Kit Kats fly across the floor. Like, they know what's up. And you're like embarrassed. And, you know, I love it when parents, I always try to do this for parents when I see them in an awkward situation in public. I'm like, you're doing a good job. Just keep going. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed for you. You shouldn't be embarrassed. Okay. Kids are punks. It's just what it is, right? <clears throat> We're in this together, right? So, I mean, and this kid's like freaking out. He's kicking candy bars on the floor. And the mom just remains so calm. And she's like, all right. You're like, are you done? You're going to need to start picking these up. And so I, like, I could feel the embarrassment. I was embarrassed. I was like, why did I stay here, right? <laughs> and so I, I walked by, and I went to go pick up one of the candy bars to help this lady out. And she was like, sir, thank you so much, but this is a mess that he made, and he knew the consequences, so he's going to have to do this himself. And I was like... Yes, right? I was like, yeah, you go, girl. And I thought, that moment, I want a parent like that. I want a parent in such a way that I'm not threatening my kids, but there are consequences for my kids, right? Because let me just, parents, let me give you a long-term view. Do you like being around people who threaten you a lot later in life? Are you parenting in a way that your kids will want to be with you when they don't have to be? I know that that's a little bit of a convicting moment. Here's the incredible thing. You can change that this afternoon. You can walk out of here and change the way, but here's the other thing you can't do. You can't not make threats and there be zero consequences because that's kind of where we are in our culture. There's a lot of threats and no consequences or there's no threats and kids just do whatever they want. And the reality is, is that's not honoring and that's actually not loving your kids well. And that's not how we're called to live this life. And we're not called to be like that. How about this? Do you encourage your kids? What, what kind of words are you speaking to your kids? This is an implement, a, a practice I'm trying to implement in my own life. How many of us know, like when you're putting your kids to bed or whatever, and young people listen because you'll probably be putting kids to bed one day and you will experience this. You can put a kid to bed one time, no problem. Right? I have to put my kids to bed seven, eight, nine times sometimes, Right? Especially our little guy, Jude the dude, he's like, he's just walking in, in the room. Like he just, I need cuddles. I just cuddled you like 500 times. He's like, I need more. I'm like, oh, okay, what's happening? Right, and there's finally a point where we're like, go to sleep, right? Like this is what happens. But sometimes, if I'm honest with you, can I be transparent in this room? I can't wait for bedtime. And I also can't wait to get out of the room. And I also can't wait to go, hey, good night. Put the covers on. Run out of there. Don't follow me. I got business. I, w I feel like that a lot. And I realized I was really wrong. And so, because what my, my actions show something different than how I feel about them. And so I'm trying to implement this, and it, I'm trying to make this a habit. But I want my kids to know every night that I love them, that God loves them, and I'm really thankful to be their dad. And so I tr I'm like, this is something new. I, I heard it from another dad. I was like, that's good. That's a legacy dad that I want to be. And so what I did is I, I just start tucking them in at night. I make them look me in the eyes. And I say, I love you. God loves you. And I'm really thankful I'm your dad. And so matter, no matter what happens that day, they know that their dad is glad that that's my kid. 
That's disciplining well. That is encouraging well. That is having patience. And do you see your kids as a gift? This is what the Lord says. Children are a gift. And I know, like, sometimes we all get gifts that, like, are hard. I get that. Right? Like, if someone bought you a gift like a treadmill, like, it, okay, it's there to help you, but it's also hard, right? Well, sometimes that's what kids are. Kids, I think, in our lives as parents are some of the most refining aspects of our life. Because they help us see the way that God loves us. Because I think about that. Would God ever run out of the room if he was tucking me in and talking to me? I, I don't ever go, hey, God, I'm praying at night before bed. And he's like, I'm busy. I got business. God's always there. And as a father, I want to be like that. Are you honoring marriages and relationships in your life? How about this? The way that we speak needs to build, not break. The way that we speak needs to build, not break. The Bible says that the, the tongue, the words, can either you can speak life or you can speak death into people's lives. Everyone know this phrase? Finish it for me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Yeah, that's a lie. Sticks and stones may break my bones and words will always wound me. Because here's the reality. Anyone ever broken a bone in first grade, second grade? I broke my arm in first grade. My brother pushed me off a couch. Okay? I flipped backwards, broke this sucker right here. It snapped so loud. Right? And then it didn't heal properly. So then they had to redo it and reset it and do all of these things. You know what, though? This chicken wing works fine. But you know what I do remember? I remember the unkind and mean words that people spoke to me in that same grade. And as a 37-year-old man, 7-year-old Blake is still wounded at times from what people said in first grade. Let me ask you in this room, how are you speaking to your spouse? How are you speaking to your girlfriend or boyfriend? How are you speaking to your parents? How are you speaking to your kids? How are you speaking to your boss? How are you speaking to people online? How are you speaking? Are you speaking life or death? Let me just tell you, as people of God, our role is to speak life. To speak life into our friends' lives, in our families' lives, in our kids' lives. Look at what Ephesians chapter 4 says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do those who listen to you benefit from the words that you speak? In a godly home, in a godly relationship, we speak life. So not only do we speak well, but this is an important aspect to our life with God is that we walk out in humility. Humility is walked out in the lives and the relationships that you have. Ephesians 4, look at what the Bible says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Let me tell you, pride is a relationship destroyer. It is. And when we talk about the idea of serving the needs of the other person, when we talk about these ideas of loving people well and above ourselves, the thing that kills that kind of talk is pride. Pride will steal, will destroy your relationships because all of your love is for you and everyone else in the room is suffocating. 
because you're just pulling it into yourself. This is all about me. This is all about how I am and, and what I need. And listen, there is time to express your needs. Absolutely. No one in this room should not express their needs. Let me give you a little saying. Unsaid expectations will set you up to be disappointed and other people to fail. So say, say them and trust. Maybe some of the reason that you won't say your expectations in this room is because you're afraid of being let down. Say your expectations. What is it? What is it? Have a conversation about it. Talk about it, right? Like if the expectation was, I need you to call me for 20 minutes of every hour of the day, I would say maybe unreasonable. (laughs) But could I send a text every hour just letting you know I love you if that's what you really need? Could I make sure that we have time to connect for 20 to 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever? Are you walking out in humility? Are you taking care of those who are around you because pride will kill your relationships? Humility. When we even think about what Jesus did, he was God. He created us. He made the entire universe. He upholds everything. And yet, what does Jesus do? He should have sat on a throne where he deserves to be worshipped. But he came down to earth to die for us. That he walked in humility so that he could win us. That he could save us. Do you know, like, at all how humble you need to be to not only just pay for someone else's mistakes, but to die for their mistakes. And you say, man, humility is so hard, I can't do that. Thanks be to God that he sends us a helper called the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And that you and I, that love that sent Jesus to the cross, that love that rose Jesus from the grave, that love now resides in you and I as believers in Jesus. Are you plugging in? We go back to the foundational problem, right? If you're not plugged into Jesus and he's not the foundation of your life, it's going to be very hard for you to love that way because it's not natural. We have to get back to the foundation. Humility needs to be walked out. But also we need to love well. Honor is shown. Truth is spoken in love. Let me just tell you something. Some of you are truth tellers in this room. I can be this way. Uh, My personality is very direct. Like if there's a problem, I'm dealing with it head on. If there's an issue, we're dealing with it head on. If there's a problem, Kelsey will tell you. Sometimes Kelsey has to stop me because there'll be a problem going on and I'm like, I'm gonna call them now. And when I get direct, I get mad. I know I seem really nice up here, but I do get mad. And Kelsey, she's laughing, you hear her back there, right? Because she knows, like even this week, she had to be like, let's call him in the morning. Let, let's, let's deal with this well. Because here's what I was going to do. I was going to bring correction, just not lovingly. I was going to bring it. <laughs> but where I was, I was in a war mode, not in a love mode. And so Kelsey, being the great and beautiful and wonderful, better person in the marriage than I am, 
stop me. She just said, hey, you can still be angry in the morning. <laughs> like you can, you can still deal with this in the morning. You can call later. And I did. And actually, I never had to make the phone call. person dealt with it. We're good. <laughs> good enough. All right? So here's where we go. The truth is spoken in love. I was going to speak something. It wasn't very loving. Hospitality is given. Do you offer hospitality to your family? I know that we're really good at being hospitable to friends. Right? Like, anyone remember, like, when you were a kid? This was my house. My mom's in the room. I'm not going to look at her so you don't know who she is. But when... We had guests come over. It was like panic, right? It was like, let's make sure that it looks like no one has ever lived in this home, <laughs> right? Like, we're not, and even Kelsey gets that way. I'm like, there's people who live here. And she's like, not today. It doesn't look like that today. I'm going to need you to paint the kitchen. They're going to be here in 20 minutes. I go, do it. <laughs> Freaking out. I'm scared. I just hid. I was so scared. Okay. We were being hospitable to people that, honestly, I don't remember anyone who came those times we had to clean the house like that. I don't remember a single person. I was like, yeah, I'm glad we did that. Why wouldn't you use the same vigor? Why wouldn't you use the same effort to honor and be hospitable to those whom you love? That you would, you would show hospitality and goodness and kindness and grace in your home, is it okay that people aren't okay? That life is hard? And let me ask you this. Is joy a part of your home life? Joy. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 5 says. I think this is so beautiful. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is your house full of joy? And joy is not circumstantial. Because we're even called in the scriptures to sing in the middle of the storm. In fact, yesterday I was, let me tell you what joy can do. Uh, yesterday I was preparing, doing all this stuff. Chris, you guys have probably not met Chris because uh, Chris is always in the back. Chris runs all of our live stream stuff. He does an incredible job. In fact, can you guys just give Chris a hand? Because <clears throat> he's like legit right now squirreled away in a cave, okay? But he does an incredible job. So yesterday I go into my office and I am... Uh, you know, just getting through the night and getting through what's going to be said. And I walk in and Chris is singing, singing just this song. Like, and he didn't know I was there. I scare Chris a lot because he's really concentrating. So I like to scare him. So I walked into the room. He didn't hear me. And he was just singing to the Lord, like just singing. And I just stopped for a second and listened. And I smiled and I laughed. And it was, it was fun and exciting and it's not like he's singing like Michael Bublé in there, but he's singing. And you know what? It changed my whole countenance that night. Why? Because it was just a joy to be around someone who's expressing joy. Is your home joyous? Is it full of life? As we get ready to end, just a few more things. Let me ask you this. Is forgiveness automatic in your home? Is forgiveness something that needs to be earned or is forgiveness something in your home that is freely given? This goes back to the humility and the pride thing and Jesus being the foundation. 
Because a lot of us get offended when our foundation isn't Jesus and we can easily, quickly turn our life upside down because we have a spirit of offense. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Is your house full of forgiveness or do your kids and your spouse and your friends and your family feel like they have to earn your forgiveness? That is not a healthy way to operate, that everyone feels on the edge all the time. And if they upset you, it's going to be four weeks of hell. Don't upset so-and-so. Life is going to be terrible. That's not a joyous home. That's a prison. Are you quick to forgive? And let me just tell you, prideful people are not quick to forgive. Why? Because there's a fence deep down inside of them because they are the foundation of their life and Christ isn't. But when Christ is the foundation of your life and your value and your worth and who you are in this world is found in him, then he never changes so you never have to. He is the foundation and you're going to be okay. And what others say about you, let it be said, this is what God says about me. And that matters more than anything else. How about this? Is generosity normal in your home? Are you generous with your time, your talent, your treasure, and your home? Are you generous with what God has given you in this world that you would give it abundantly and not reluctantly and that you would be kind and that you would be generous? Because, like, here's the reality, like, in this room. Um, you know, money is a, money's not evil. Money is what it is. It's amoral, not immoral, amoral. It's nothing. But money, I think, is one of the greatest revealers in life. Money will tell you what's inside, what's really going on with people. And let me just, like, just be honest with everybody in here. If you can't be generous with your money, how are you ever going to be generous with your time or your talent? We think generosity and, and like, we're talking about this in church, like, money's the pinnacle. It's the baseline. Money, generosity with money in church, generosity with money in life is baseline. Are you generous with your time? Are you generous with your talent? But if we can't be generous with our money with those who we love the most in this world, how are we going to be generous with anything else? It's baseline. Are, you, are we generous in our homes? Are we generous with our time? Are we loving our neighbor as ourselves? Are we loving our kids as ourselves? Are we loving our families? And finally, we are called to participate in God's kingdom. Godly homes participate. Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Connie, you can come up. Are you generous? Are you, are you kind? And are you participating in God's kingdom? Because as God's church and God's people, we are called to participate in the family business. We are called to be a part of calling our families, calling our kids, calling our lives to this point where we are participating in the kingdom of God. And what happens for a lot of us is these are these godly priorities that we are to have in our life to make a godly family. 
And what happens is, is we kind of get freaked out in life, right? Because we look at life and we go, man, I know that these are important, but I got to get my kids to six soccer practices this week. And there's music lessons and there's this class and I got to go do this and I got to go do that. And I got to go do all of these things. And we start to say, because of the busyness of life and it gets out of balance, we shift our priorities. And what do we say? Well, God's forgiving and he's kind and he's nice. So he'll forgive me and he will. That's the truth. But don't cheapen God's forgiveness and take it for granted. Right? That even God's kindness and mercy and grace towards us should lead us to greater repentance and greater life with God. And so what we do a lot of times in life is we get our priorities mixed up. And we prioritize the wrong things in the wrong order. Right? We kind of deal with like the sand here. And it's like all these little things that we have to deal with that overtake our lives. Right? Like... Like, overtake our family. Like, let's put it this way. And maybe some of the coaches in the room need to chill for a second. Because, like, let's say your kid is telling you that they just had the worst day at school ever and people bullied them and something happened to them and you're in the car and and you're getting to practice right on time. Do you cut off the conversation and go, oh, we don't want to be late for practice? And then maybe miss the moment for the conversation? That's the wrong priority in the wrong order. Or can your kid be three minutes, four minutes, five minutes late to practice? And yeah, maybe they got to run three laps. Okay, but did you make sure your kid's soul is okay? Right? Like, what, what goes on here? Like, what goes on in your life? And then we have these little bigger priorities that can begin to dominate our lives, and it, and it gets out of control. But you notice here that these big priorities, they don't make it in. There's not enough room in the box, in the life, to make sure that that happens. And the lie that a lot of us believe is, well, man, I can't always prioritize what God has first for me because that means I won't be able to prioritize everything else. But I'm here to tell you that if you put God's priorities first in your life, there will be room. Here's what I mean. We're going to be honoring in our marriage and in our life with our family. We're going to take care of people, right? We're going to put God as the foundation and make sure that nothing else takes that place. We're going to be wise in how we speak to each other and loving in the way that we speak. We're going to then go ahead and we're going to make sure that we are generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. We're going to make sure that we're generous people. We're going to put what God says to put first, first. We're going to make sure that we are making God the foundation and reading our Bible and reading our scripture. And yes, we are going to be praying and loving with one another. We're going to make sure that the people that we love most know that we love them. We're going to make sure that we are honoring in our households, that everyone is honored and relationships are upheld. We're going to make sure that we are living in these godly priorities. And those priorities, because they are so important, fill the bucket first. They're going to fill the bucket first. I'm going to give you guys a clue here. Everything that's in here is going to be in here. Same amount of stuff. So then we get these lesser priorities, right? And we start to put those in life. And we start to make sure that all of these things are happening. And we, we start to make sure that we are loving and honoring and being there for people. And we're doing all this. And life gets crazy, so you may need to shift. And you may need to make sure. And you may need to understand what's really going on. And you may need to make sure that you're doing things right. And then we, we got these other bigger priorities. And we got all of these other things. And we, we have all of this stuff. But I just want you to notice something. When we put God's priorities right, everything fits. 
This is the foundation in the start of life. And if you put this foundation in the start of life in the right priority, then you will make sure that your life is well balanced in the right ways. Because it's going to be imbalanced, right? But we're going to push towards and balance our life towards the things that are most important. Because maybe in this analogy, <clears throat> the things that we lost is God is the foundation. Or maybe we lost like generosity. Or maybe we lost humility. Or maybe we lost the ability to honor our marriage and our relationships. Let me just tell you something, guys. Those things won't last very long. And you will have devastating effects in your life if we do not put God's priorities before anything else. Do you know how many times I've been in counseling with couples where we talk about their marriage and we talk about what's going on in their life and all I hear is about how each other are their own priorities and everyone's needs are their own and how God's economy and the things that are going on aren't really there, but we say that they are and we talk like they are, but they're not really there in the way that we live and the way that we love. We get disastrous effects, but if we put into our lives what is most important, then everything has a way of working out. But it's the moment we take what is most important and put in things that are less important in our life first that we mess up and life gets out of control. And here's the reality. We are in a season as a people walking into the fall where there's a lot of things that aren't the priority that are going to tell you that it is. And they're going to pull your time, they're going to pull your talent, they're going to pull your treasure, and they're going to pull away from a God-filled life. And so as we get ready to end, I want to ask all of us in this room, what are your priorities? Where does the balance in your life need to shift? Because like you want to work on your marriage? Is the foundation of your life Jesus Christ and your relationship with him? Good. Are you working that out? Are, 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 you, are you in a place where you're participating in the kingdom of God and being a part and your family is participating in what God has for you because you prioritized it properly? This, guys, this isn't like to hammer you all to make you feel bad because you misprioritize. This is a wake-up call for all of us that we, if we want to have world-changing homes, if we want to, at the end of our life, to sit on a porch with our spouse or with our kids or with our friends and that we have this generous life that we look out. Kelsey and I say, what do we want at the end of the day? We want our kids to be with us. We want them to love God and we want them to love others. And I can't wait for the day that Kelsey and I, we're done trying to build things. We're done trying to figure all this stuff out. We're done planting all of these churches and her and I, one day when God says, you've done a good job, son. You've done a good job, daughter we get to sit on a porch and continue to disciple our family and disciple our friends and disciple our kids and we prioritize so much and let me just tell you that life that you want you have to have the right priorities in place and God's word lays out a plan for you and I and I promise this God blesses us and this isn't like a super prosperity thing it's a reality thing because they're blessing when we put the priorities in the right place and so I don't know where you are in your life this morning as we are building this, this house, we build a godly home. What priorities need to shift in your mind today? What priorities need to shift in your life today? Next week, we're gonna be getting back together. We're gonna talk about how to build a spiritual home, spiritual life. 
And I think you guys are going to hear some announcements. I know you're going to hear some announcements next week that are probably the most exciting for us as a church. And so if there's a week not to miss, it's next week to be here. We are going to announce some incredible things that I think are going to excite you as God's people more than you could probably imagine. And so I'm going to ask that you be here with us as we celebrate that next week. And then we get into the chosen and invite a friend and be all about that. But would you join me in praying and then we're going to sing to the Lord. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word and your truth. We thank you that you have laid out for us in our lives how we can have such abundant, godly, blessed lives. So that when we prioritize what is most important and we are imbalanced, but we are pushing towards what is most important, that Lord, there's this blessing in our life, that there's this anointing in our life, that our homes are changed, that our marriages are changed, that our lives are changed. So God, today, I ask that these priorities be implemented in our lives and that we start with you as the foundation every single day. And that, Lord, we would trust you with our lives and that all the needs that we have will be met in you. Maybe not in ways that we expect, but you will do the work. And so, God, today we praise you, we honor you, and we lift you high in our lives today. We love you in Christ's name. And everyone said?